You're listening to Proropod. Welcome as we, Portia the lifelong fan and Amanda the first time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love to be soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Okay, so we are now talking about The World's End. The World's End. So you were saying, interesting, in your 1984 edition of The World's End. Of Quinn. Yeah, it doesn't have the world's end. Oh yeah, of, of uh, mysterious Mister Quinn doesn't have this story. But so where did you think you did have it? Well, it was like a compilation of Agatha Christie stories that were in a, another place. Um, uh, that was kind of just a random, like it had a Poirot and a Marple and a Quinn. And I remember when I read that in the other compilation, and I can't remember which one. I remember being annoyed because this is kind of a story into itself and it ends and he's gone. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like a full arc. Right. And so having him show up randomly in another compilation of Agatha Christie characters, I was like, wait a minute. Well, yeah. And it's interesting that you said that because I took this as sort of like the, you know, part of the climax of, of the story arc. Right. This one. And so I think that I think this was stupid Americans who were like, you know what we should do? We should spread out Mr. Quinn. So he's not all in one place. And then, Oh yeah. Kind of like, you know, when you get um, Beatles albums that were published in America in the sixties, like the ones I used to listen to mom and dad's Beatles albums. And then people who heard them for the first time on CD and they heard, the original British versions, they were like, oh, don't you know this song? And I was like, no. Well, it turns out they cut a couple songs because the Americans were like, oh, there's too many songs on this album, so we'll cut it up for the American version. Interesting, yeah. So, you know, and it's So what I thought was interesting about this story was that in this, the narrator names out loud um, Mr. Satterwaite. Hey, I did it. You did it. Um, he says that, or he, the narrator says, in his way, a harmless, gentlemanly, old-fashioned way, Mr. Satterwaite was a snob. He liked the best people. And so it had sort of been implied up into this story, but this was the, the narrator sort of naming, yes, he will like someone just because they have a title, which right. is what he's doing in this one. He's hanging out with this person who's this duchess, very well-born on both sides of her family, duchess. And she sounds miserable to hang out with because she's super cheap and bossy and keeps making decisions for both of them that are very uncomfortable for him. <laughs> and, yeah, and I remember this character, even though I hadn't read it in the reread it in this, because it was like, how could she be rich and generous and cheap at the same time? You know, like, how is that a thing? And um, but maybe it's because I don't know super rich people. I think that's a thing. I mean, I think there's people who are generous on the, you know, when it matters scale, you know, will take care of things that matter. But on the day to day are cheap people. And that's how they're wealthy. 
I definitely know people like that. Fair, yeah. And I th- this one had a, a, some comedic tone to it too to start out with because they, they were describing her, the Duchess of Leith, and they're saying that she liked to wear a lot of like diamond brooches all over her clothes. And the quote is, someone had suggested once that the Duchess stood in the middle of the room whilst her maid flung brooches, brooches at her haphazardly. <laughs> That's such a great quote. Because- right? It's just so funny. You can just picture her like looking like they just flung brooches at her. And obviously that's not how they did it, but it's hilarious. Like I was like, okay. Because it definitely makes you very funny. picture this woman and say, oh, okay, I can see this old rich woman who has diamond brooches randomly around, around her body. <laughs> All over her. And, and looking like she just did the money dance at a wedding <laughs> right right and so yeah i just like the idea of someone flinging brooch brooches at you and- hilarious right and then she says in this so she basically bosses satterweight to come with her on a trip to corsica and he'd rather go to the riviera but he likes the best people so she said we're going to corsica and he went and when she invites him he says she she says to him oh don't worry no one will worry about scandal at our age and he was actually flattered by that i think because of his sort of asexuality or some of the other things we've talked about he was like no one has ever thought about scandal in me oh my god (laughs) you thought about it (laughs) right he was like he was kind of flattered that like someone would consider him that there could be scandal around him and, and and a trip with a woman right which is kind of yeah i mean it's flattering but yeah in a way that after getting to know him over the course of this book you're like oh yeah no right <laughs> no one's thinking oh he's going on a trip with the duchess of lace because you know wink wink nod dod yeah yeah no there's no no, no brown chicken brown cow not at all um um so the setup so that's the setup they're on this trip and they run into a cousin Who's a, so she's got the, the, the fancy blood or whatever, who, a cousin of this duchess, who's a young woman, Naomi Carlton Smith, who is clearly like an artist and she does not have time for this pretentious aunt. She's just like, yes, I'm an artist, yada, yada. <laughs> I'm over here. And the, and, and the duchess comes in and we, we must do this and I can't believe and we, you must take me up to the mountain. And she's like, I don't have to do any of those things. Um, and she shows her art. The Duchess demands that she shows her art. And of course, she's the Duchess is like, this doesn't look like real, you know, boring old art. And Mr. Sadaway, who has a real taste in art, is like, oh, my gosh, these are excellent. He buys one. Mm-hmm. And then but basically the Duchess bosses them and this other guy into driving up the mountain. Um. And so they all go on a trip, but she keeps being weird. Naomi Carlton Smith keeps being like, no, you can't ride with me. Even to Mr. Satterway, who she's like on the slide to him on the side. She's like, I like you. My cousin's the worst, but I like you. And he's like, cool. Can I ride with you? And she's like, no, I'm going to be weird and vague about why I have to ride alone. Up up to this point. Yeah. Right. And as you, as we get further into the story, it's clear that she has like a suicidal plan with going up there right right but they get up there to the top of the mountain and they find this they like there's this beautiful overlook and naomi calls it the world's end because it's basically a road back down and nothing else and 
um, I guess they decide started to snow, so they decided to to break there for a while. So they go to some, they find some little and so inn or cafe or something. And what's f- hilarious to me is, of course, this idea that they went up there with a the picnic in a place that would snow. That's weird, right? <laughs> but hey, and then- but they go into some little inn. No, I think it was just like a. It wasn't a hotel or an inn. I think it was just like a covered area. An area. Covered area. Yeah, okay. That makes more sense, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because they walk up and there's a group of people. But from the setup, when they get there, so that first they meet Mr. Quinn out on these cliffs. Again, it's one of those things where he pops up out of nowhere. He pops up out of what could only be a death wish for someone else. And he seems to be kind of like referring to Naomi's death wish. Death wish. And Mr. Satterwaite is like, it's interesting how he kind of is semi-aware of his cognitive dissonance. He keeps being like, they were talking about something and I didn't want to admit to myself what it was. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's, he's hovering around the fact that he understands, like he, he won't admit to himself the fact that he understands that she's about to kill herself or something like that. But Mr. Quinn is like, hey, there's something you need to do before you do what you said you were going to do. So they come across this group of people, but from the setup of it, um, Mr. Satterwhite says it seemed like a play. Like, and I, I had, didn't really notice that the first time I read it, but in rereading the to prepare for this, I was like, oh, Mr. Quinn constructed this whole thing. Right. He got all the people there, kind of like the, um, the, the one where it was the jeweler who's down mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. a croupier. Right. And he gets right, and again, there. as as Miss, exactly, and as Mister Satterwhite is getting more savvy with these things, he walks up and he's like, "It, it was, it was a little bit too constructed. It was like a play." Right, right. So they go into the scene and they're chatting with these people, and one of them is an actress, and she's telling the story about how her, she had this jewel stolen, and this guy who was a playwright who we had sort of heard about and we keep getting side references to the fact that Naomi was either dating or engaged to this playwright. Playwright? Musical writer? Uh, Some sort okay. of writer. Yeah. Um, but Probably anyways, Naomi was dating him. Because that's how the actress... Because she was an actress, yeah. right. Right. So this playwright, Naomi was involved with him and then he went to jail for stealing this lady's jewel. And so... Because he said he didn't um, have it, but he got some money. Right. Um, and then, so she tells a story about how she lost her opal and, and then in her purse, she's a very disorganized person. She keeps losing things and her husband is like doting on her and it's kind of weird. And they keep noticing, there's like some little funny sidebar about like how her husband treats her like a dog and like cuts up her food and stuff. It's all very weird, (laughs) but she's, she's very absent-minded and keeps misplacing stuff. So she op- opens up her whole bag and inside of it, she has this box and the, there's a guy with them. Who's he took, he's the one who drove them up the hill. Who's a Indian Colonel. Um, who's like, Oh, you, that you have the one of those boxes. Aren't they funny? And she's like, what do you mean funny? And she, he's like, you know, it has a trick. And he's like, she's like, what trick? So he shows, he uses a piece of cheese and shows that like you, there's a secret compartment and the cheese disappears and then reappears. But when he reappears the cheese, it also has the opal. Which she lost a So it turned ago. out yeah. her opal has been in this trick. 
box for a year versus being stolen by Naomi's young man. But he's been in jail for a year. Right, right. So so that so basically you know Naomi has this big emotional reaction and Mr. Quinn's like, "See? So I bet you want I bet it's not going to be too slippery on the roads tonight, right?" And she's like, "Yeah, definitely not. Mr. Satterwaite can can ride with me now cuz I don't have a death wish anymore." Right. And Mr. Satterwaite is like, "Oh, I remember that." Like he's like, "Right. Oh, that's why you didn't want me to ride with you." Exactly. And that what was interesting was that he kept telling us earlier in the story, like they were saying something, but I couldn't understand what it was. And so, but then like at that moment, he allowed himself to see, you know, read between the lines. Right. Um, and in this one, I actually, I could see how in some ways this one would be out of order because as we've been talking about, like in each story, Mr. Quinn has been pulled back further and further and further. Mm-hmm. But in this one, Mr. Quinn said to her go in, like she's trying to leave and mr quinn literally blocked her plat blocked her path and was like go in and sit down right so <laughs> so mr quinn is more directly involved in this one so i could see as a narrative this one is a little bit more out of order right in that way because he's more directly involved in this one right because mr it, we noticed over the course of most of these stories that it was more and more mr satterwaite doing the acting with nudges right from uh mr quinn and less and less mr the quinn. other part that was really yeah the other part that was really interesting was that um naomi from the beginning when she first mes- met mr quinn was like oh he gives me the creeps he can read my mind but when at the end when mr quinn goes off you know in a direction that makes no sense if you're mortal right. if you are mortal um Mr. Satterwaite is still acting baffled, like, well, where he's going? Where is he going? And Naomi's like, well, he's going to supernatural places, basically, right? Like, Naomi gets it, but Mr. S still can't get it. But I always feel like that's consistent through the whole thing, that Mr. S is always, like, doesn't allow himself to believe in the supernatural part of it. Although, the one before, which was um, on the coast of the 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 woman in the house right it's very similar in that setting and, and mr satterwaite is a little bit more cool with him he's like don't you want to come down there yeah so maybe in some ways it is out of order because yeah he seems more baffled again by the par- Yeah, it's, it's very similar where mr quinn goes off a cliff somehow and and so yeah, mr satterwaite you're right so he would have just had that story and been like yeah it's cool he goes off cliffs it's it's, it's awesome right right and so suddenly he's like don't go off a cliff yeah it's interesting though because the you know speak for the dead thing sometimes um in this case who was he speaking for right in this way he's trying to prevent her suicide yeah yeah. so he's trying to yeah and he doesn't seem to be speaking for any death he seems to be preventing her from committing suicide and i and i i could see Again, when you think about these motivations, that's why I thought an interesting theme from this story was was her suicide and the motivation because she was an artist and she was a good artist. Mr. Quinn liked her art. And like, yeah, her boo went to jail for being a thief, but is does that take away your will to live? Like, is that... Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and not that it couldn't be a contributor to someone who's suicidal, but it, it's a little bit immature in its way like... 
okay, well, you're disappointed in this young man you were dating. And even if it was unjust, like, she didn't seem like she had nothing going for her. Or... Right, right. Or you couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that story. And it's a good one. I think that is a good story. But you're sort of informing me that it was not necessarily linear in the narrative. Right. Well, it's yeah, interesting. I mean, because we talked about how these were released on as short stories um as a lot of her kind of compilations were um and so i guess when they compiled this into a you know a book to publish um you know when did they decide which you know the right to put them in order and what order right yeah and so because it would be and then did she edit them at all right did she edit for it when it was published as a as a unit so that it was more of a uh yeah a, like a, a a linear story about mr quinn which as we go into the next one harlequin's lane which is the last one when you look at harlequin's lane as the last one and compared to the very first story it has such a perfect art oh, totally because with the reference to the ballet right right and everything so in that way it was really well constructed as a as a as a as a book as a whole you know like it works as short stories but also really works well as a book right so like the um the editors whether it was her or editors you know um because i was trying to see so it says coming of mr quinn published in 24 shadow on glass 24 Bells and Motley, 25. Sign in the Sky, 25. Soul of the Croupier, 27. Man from the Sea, 29. Voice in the Dark, 27. Face of Hellion, 27. Dead Harlequin, 29. World's End, 27. Harlequin Lane, uh, Lane, uh, 27. Bird with the Broken Wing. Is that even in there? Which mm-hmm. one is that one? It's one of the ones you hate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was actually written after Harlequin's Lane. Interesting. But I could see when they put it together why it was yeah, that way. Yeah. So different order, but um But what we can say is that the they edited it. They they changed the order from their original publishing right, order. Right. So, um, but ev- all of them end with Harlequin's Lane. Because it's, it's the resolution. Yeah, yeah. And so we need to talk about that because... All right, so introduce the plot of Harlequin's Lane. So, like Mr. Satterwade likes to do, um, he's staying at a country house. Because that seems to be, there's two things that he's doing in all of these things. He's either staying at a country house or going to see a performance. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) And um, so the rich people that he's staying with aren't really part of this. Oh, yeah, 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 they are. So the guy who um, he's staying with has a a wife who um, was rescued from the Russian Revolution, and she's got that tortured Russian thing. Yeah, no, but they spend a lot of time saying that these are not his people. Their taste is not his taste. They are, I think they are, you know, have enough money, 
but they do not have the taste to be his. And he keeps asking himself, why does he keep accepting these invitations? Oh, yeah. Like he's, yeah. He, they invite him and he goes. And then he, every time he's going to go, he's like, why do I go to these things? Right. I don't even like these people. He said, like, he refers to her as having no personality to speak of. And I think he's just, like, boring and middle class, the man. The only reason he can find himself going is that in their sit, there's a sitting room that has, like, a very boring, generic right. um, setup with this beautiful, what they call oriental screen in it. Right. It's, yeah. And that in of itself is the reason he gets, he keeps accepting, even though he doesn't find their company interesting, he doesn't find their conversation interesting. But he, this is like his third time going. But it's like you know, he, it, so, there's nothing in either of their personalities, um, who um, that indicate why they would have such a beautiful piece of art in their house, right? But he's asking himself as he's ready, getting ready to go. He's like, why do I keep going over here? <laughs> I feel like these people. Like he's going, so he gets there. And what's interesting is that he walks in and there he's like, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Denham are not here right now. They're at rehearsal. And he's like, rehearsal? That sounds way more interesting than they normally are. <laughs> because they're about to do a... Uh, what was it? A thing, a performance. Right, which is, you know, as we said, the other thing that Mr. Satterwaite does. But right um, down from the house... Uh, he's like walking around the house because his hosts aren't there and he finds a street that says the address says um, Ashmead Harlequin's Lane and it was a local name for the street they lived on was Harlequin's Lane right it was either Lover's Lane or Harlequin's Lane and then um, as he was walking he ran into Mr. Quinn Right. And, and he's like, oh, Mr. Quinn. And he's like, Mr. Quinn says, he's like, oh, yeah, I own property over here. Right. Because he said this lane and Mr. Quinn says belongs to me. Somehow I thought it did. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the one when he says things like somehow I thought it did. This is the one where you kind of see Satterwaite like step into. I had a feeling about this the most. And again, I, see, now it makes sense to me that that last one was out of order because the last one, there's when they describe his mental process, he's doing a lot of like blocking of what he knows. And I see a lot of analogy in the Satterwaite um, narrative to like accepting your intuition and what you think you know, but you don't want to admit right, that you right. know. And so if you go, if you skip, um, the world's end and just go straight from what's the other one on the cliffs a man in the sea yeah man in the sea if you go straight from man in the sea to this you can see that progression from like now i am accepting more and right. more my intuition because he's like i'm just gonna walk up to this house i'm just gonna do this i'm gonna know that this guy is is her ex but in the in that one in the middle he's got a lot more like i don't get it right, i don't right. get it and so in this one, he's like, yeah, I had a feeling you'd be here. I had a feeling you on the street. I had a feeling. So I think it makes more sense to me in terms of, because I, I kind of see this story as him sort of his final acceptance of like those intuitions that he has. Uh, yes. Until the climax, which we should get to, or I suppose, because he's surprised by a couple of things. Like he's, 
Okay, so the setup is interesting. So these boring people are somehow doing, are for the first time doing something interesting. They're hosting a Harlequinade at their house? Well, the, is it, it at their house? like it, because rich people do that, right? They have people perform in their house, right? I, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so they're basically doing a Harlequinade, which means they're doing this whole, like, there's singers and there's dancers they're bringing in professional dancers and then there's like this lady who's like an up-and-coming singer who's not that great but okay right and then um and they're producing this at their house say when they talk about the lane lover's lane or harlequin lane it ends in a garbage heap they they talk about that and that's one of the fascinating things before any of this happens when he runs into Mr. Quinn the first time. Right. It ends in a garbage heap and that like the house overlooks this little garbage heap and he's like, well, that's not a great view. And then they ha- they they quote something where they're like, well, do you have it in front um, of you? Yeah. The, yeah. So the actual quote is bring the two. Are you, t- are you typing? Am I saying and I'm typing or no, you're saying and then we're recording it and then I'll edit out <laughs> us being dumb. <laughs> No, but he's looking it up. <laughs> You're looking it up. Okay. You're doing everything. I'm doing nothing but <laughs> cheerful banter in, in support. Okay. <laughs> so they're looking at the rubbish heap and Mr. Quinn says, sometimes there are very wonderful things in a rubbish heap. I know, I know, cried Mr. Satterwaite and quoted, bring me the two most beautiful things in the city, said God, unquote. You know how it goes, eh? So that's what they say. And the two most be- beautiful things in the city okay. are from the Oscar Wilde book, The Happy Prince, and they are the lead heart of the prince and a dead bird, a dead swallow. So it seems to be that in the story, Mr. Quinn and Mr. S are implying that sometimes there's beauty in you know, what we consider right. to be an ugly place. So, so back to. So that's before the story even gets started. He's just walking around waiting for his host to get there. He runs into Mr. Quinn and then they see a rubbish heap and say, sometimes there's beauty in death and decay. Foreshadowing. And so they're doing this masquerade thing with all the different characters from the Harlequin. And then, so they're at dinner before this thing. And somebody who's at dinner is like, they're talking about Russia and different things and talking about the Russian ballet and the hostess who's originally Russian, Mrs. Denham is like, Oh, I've never seen the Russian ballet. I used to be a dancer. I've never seen the ballet because I used to be a dancer and I know all their tricks. And then they go off in a side conversation about this ballerina named Carsonova, who was this amazing dancer and, Mr. S said he'd seen her three times and it was like life changing. And so did the other guy say, so like seeing her was everything. And they say that she died in the war. So, and this was written as we just looked up um, in 27, the war ended in uh, end of 18. So this is, you know, not quite 10 years after the end of the war. Okay. And then, um, the the hostess, uh, Mrs. Denham, said that Carsonova was actually her right. mentor. 
So she's like, yeah, I knew her. She was my mentor. So anyways, they're about to get ready for this masquerade, this harlequinade that's going to be at their house. But then they get news that the dancers, while they were on the way down, got in a car accident. And it turns out that it's some prince named Prince Sergei Ornoff, who seems to be the ex of Mrs. Denham from Russia times. And he, uh, she was like, Oh yeah, he's a terrible driver. That makes sense. And so he crashed a car on their way down and like bruised up the dancers. So they're not dancing. And I think Ornoff himself was supposed to dance, but he also was bruised up. So they're like, what are we going to do? We don't have any performer. And then Mrs. Denham, her Russian accent getting stronger by the minute is like, I will do it. I will dance. And the guy who's directing it is like, these yokels always think that they could dance and just put themselves in my play. And but then, she yeah, because there's a couple, there's some side characters. There's like a rich lady who likes to sponsor his artist. There's the music guy whose name is Claude, who's such a British name for an artist. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and the rich lady that, that likes to sponsor artists also likes to, you know, have flirty relationships with the artist men. And the narrator comments on the fact that, like, her husband unusually lets her find joy in her own way. Right, right. Sort of thing. Is, it's a very coded, like, you know, how much is she enjoying these young men who she's sponsoring? Yeah, but the husband doesn't mind. She's doing whatever she does, and the husband doesn't mind. So, um... So the the show goes on, and Mr. Satterwaite goes into his role as, you know, consumer of the arts. And even though they're just, like, basically in a nice parlor of a, you know, rich people's house, all of a sudden he's transformed into being, seeing the original Harlequinade. And did um, the dancing is amazing. And, oh, and Mr. Quinn is the one who dances with, so she's like, I'll dance. And then like, hey, I'm going to dance with Mr. Quinn. Mr. S, you'll vouch for him, right? And Mr. S is like, yeah, yeah, such sure. A, you know, and he's, as he's, you and I being dancers, it's always um, hilarious to me that people are like, because you've danced a piece once, you can do it 10 years later. Um, <laughs> right? Because oh my god like a lot of <laughs> different performances and if i watch if i hear a song or i watch myself i might have some memory of a few of the steps but right it's kind of like seeing a song where you like remember right. the chorus but you're not going to remember and all the in-between steps partnering right although i would say in the context of this, one, Mr. Quinn is supernatural, and two, she's supposed to be the True. best dancer ever. Spoiler okay, but alert. Still, even... Right, she's supposed to be like the most amazing dancer dancer ever, and he's supposed to be supernatural, right, so can you, I'll buy even... that. But I do think the average person, like, yeah, I knew this choreography ten years ago. And I'm ago. partner with somebody <laughs> I've never partnered um, with before and do a dance. Right. <laughs> right Not I did fall. ten years ago. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, like, we all know choreography is not the same from company to company. So, like, right, are you really going to partner with this person? Like, and you guys are what you're doing, doing this, like, in the hallway upstairs? Be like, okay, so it's on seven. No, it's on seven, and, you know, it's Anna. Right. No, it's on. 
Seven Anna eight. Oh no, we fell. <laughs> yeah, this is dancer jokes that no one will get. But if anybody of our, you know, I don't know, what are we up to? Twenty listeners are dancers. They'll be like, "That's so true." Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, it's hilarious. Um, so one of the things that when Oranoff shows up even though like the one who had been in the car accident who was supposed to dance there right and he's told her tension like tension 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 where it's like oh is anna supposed to be with him you know oh right yeah because mr s is reading the room and he's like oh anna's really in love with him and she's born by boring british mr denim that's what the screen means screen means that she's she's exciting and exotic in this boring british room and that represents anna with her boring british husband she really wants to be with prince so-and-so yeah so and then mr quinn is like is it and so he kind of like questions the way right, that he's because, reading that. Yeah, because Mr. Satterwhite is like, "Ooh, I'm getting the hang of this thing. Clearly, this is the love triangle. It's John and Anna and right. Oranoff. That... Um, right. But then before the performance, we see Mr. Denham making out with Molly, the I can sing kind right. of okay local girl. And so, and Anna sees it too. So she says to Mr. S, like, hey, hold my hand. Because she clearly is, like, still really in love with her right, husband and right. is very hurt by this. And that's that's when she explains that that's what the screen meant to her. Was that the screen was they had to pay more money than they could afford. And they had to sacrifice and and so that screen was something special in the middle of their kind of plain lives. And if, if they got the whole room to match it, because like the husband was like, we should get everything to match it, make it a whole Asian theme room. And the wife was like, no, it wouldn't mean as much because now we would get all those other things and it wouldn't be a sacrifice. So it wouldn't mean as much. And so to her, that screen represents the sacrifices that they met, made for this relationship because right. it was so important. Right. And then... And then she sees her husband young, who's enthralled yeah. with this like kind of can sing okay young British lady and so she's actually nostalgic for when right. he really cared about her. So Mr. S had read the room right. wrong. Totally the wrong. Love triangle. And then they do the performance and it's very dramatic. Um and it's amazing. And like Mr. S is taken back to being like he's he's transformed into this experience of the story. Not just like I'm in this people's living room and they're doing this dance. It was actually like transformed into the story. And you as a reader are transformed into the story. And so afterwards he's like, You're Carsonova. I see you. And she's like, Oh my gosh, you know it was me. And he's like, There's no other. The only you could only be you. Right, right. Yeah, and so as it, and that's a really interesting thing for her to have rejected dance um, for her husband. Yeah, and then he was like, "Why did you give it up?" And he was, she was like, "Well, everyone else, and I think she means especially this prince guy, Prince Oranoff, 
would have loved her as Carsonova, but like as Carsonova, it's only a certain kind of love. As a and I thought that was interesting because as you know, a performer, I'm not really that kind of a performer, but knowing performers, where it's like someone kind of falls in love with your persona, right. who's not quite you, and so this denim guy loved her as her, and so she kind of like gave up that persona of, of Carsonova to just be a regular wife because she wanted the kind of love that you could get right. from a person who just loves so a person after the performance, and not a persona um, Molly goes toward John and he pushes away from her quote hit he can't even see her he's like he like he pushes like, past her like wife? who's that because now he's where's my wife her dance and I don't think he'd ever seen her dance. He fell in love with her with never having seen her dance as apparently right, right. one of the best dancers in the world. So as someone who seems these days to be interested in performers, at least Molly and her okay singing, then he's like, where's my wife? Because like, he's clearly got stars in his, wife, in his eyes for his wife again. Right, and then, so his, he's, the, the, the John Denham is looking for her. And then um, Prince Oronoff is now looking for her because he's like, I thought you had died 10 years ago and you know, I've always wanted you back. Let's meet in the lane, you know, or Anna says to him, we'll meet in the lane in 10 minutes. Right. So yeah, Oranoff is like Anna, Anna, Anna. And she's like, and cool, let's meet in the lane in 10 away, minutes. And Satterway says to Anna, you know, your husband's looking for you. Um, and she's like, yeah, that would last only for a little bit like it's it'll be cute for now but then he's gonna lose interest and that's why i never wanted him to see me as a dancer because he's gonna like be into the next one the next one the next one so she like she doesn't think that her husband you know can love her as carsonova and as herself and like not lose interest so she goes off and we sort of and then we see oh everyone's dressed as harlequin or oranoff is dressed as harlequin Mr. Quinn's dresses dresses Harlequin, which because, he normally yeah. is, oh, but, but even more so than usual. Because she had made her choice. She said, for 10 years, I lived with the man I love. Now I'm going to the man who for 10 years has loved me. That was so yeah. sad. That was like, who? And like, when we think about the choices that we make in life, and like, you know, I think it's more, that's more dramatic than right the choices right. that really come to us but i i felt that i felt the sort of like choice between like if 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 it felt emotionally like the choice between the person that i love and the one that loves me and how do you make that decision and the loss on both sides of that oh i felt that right and then i felt that one down the lane mr saturday sees her go and she thinks it's with oranoff because it's a harlequin costume but then he's like oh that's mr quinn but then she's like, right. So he sees her walking with Oranoff, 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 sees her walking, and then is like, "Wait, that's Mister Quinn." And they're like all giggling and walking together, and like you know, and cuddled then up like it, lovers. he's like, "No, no, no, that's Quinn." But then he's like, "No, no, no, it looks like John Denham's face." So it was like what you know and they're kind of like and she's super happy and going down the road and then orna and looks happier than she's ever been like this woman who when he first described her it was like she had no personality to speak of 
And then Orin and now she's all lit up. Where is she? She hasn't shown up. And then the maid walks up and says, she just went down the lane alone. And Saturday was like, alone? Alone? And then, so he's Satterwaith is like, oh shit. Um, and so they run to the end of the lane to the rubbish heap and she's dead. Uh, and so she was dancing towards death right. or dancing with death at the end and she was happy. Right, so she's dancing with death and she's joyous. And before this all happens, at some point, I forget if it's after or before she sees her husband making out with so-and-so, but she says something to Mr. S and she's like, um, sometimes you make up a story in your head for a performance and then turns out to be true. And it and it, it seemed like that's what was happened. Like she had told this story when she dances Carsonova perfect of this dream. perfect lover. Yeah, perfect. And then this perfect dream lover. And then and then she was like, but now it seems like that thing is true. And it and it really wrapped together this dream of hers of being the perfect lover, but also being and, death and at the same time. Heartland. Like her perfect yeah. Her perfect love, and the and the Harlequin is the character that Carsonova dances with in that, which is interesting because that's what they refer to in the very first short story. But how she she was kind of like baffled because she was like, I I made up this story of this perfect lover so that I could dance that dance so emotionally, so I could express that emotional story to this fake perfect lover that I made up in my head. But now I think it's true. Do you think I'm crazy? But I also think that perfect lover is death, and like. You know, on the meta level, looking at the way this story is written and thinking about Agatha Christie as a writer, like as a person who writes about death right. for a living, her seeing death as the perfect Ooh, lover was yeah. just like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know where to process this, especially in a, I, you know, you gave me more context, but the last story is about suicide. And the story before that was also about suicide, and they both all of those stories they chose not to commit suicide but in this story death is the perfect lover and she's happy when she chooses it and like she has her husband who's choosing her now and Ornoff wants her and all these things but she chooses to go off with Mr. Quinn who was Miss, right. you know meet Joe Black and and she's the happiest she's ever been cuz she's been living kind of numb for the past 10 years cuz she gave a ballet and all these things and like the perfect lover is death and i was like I don't think right? you're doing a lot. I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> like, right? Like, and I, how fascinating. And you can tell me as those years you were reading off what they mean in terms of her writing about death. But like, as a person who makes a career about writing about death, to think that like, there's a character of death as a person. Right. Who's yeah. the perfect love. <laughs> Whoa. Well, and then, Whoa. you know, like, there's nothing modern about death and <laughs> gothness and darkness and everything that like can even keep up with that for me right like to say that death is the perfect lover and you'll go yeah. joyously down the lane with him to end up on the top of a garbage heap to be the perfect beautiful thing to take to the prince and you're death and you're dead Ah! Well, and it's then, blowing my little mind. I'm not sure what to do. Satterwaite has a moment 
with Quinn because Quinn comes back. And then he's like, that was you. And Quinn was right. like, uh, you could say that, which is a cryptic answer. And then he was like, but nobody else can see you. And he said, yeah, because you, you know, you can see things that others can't. This lane, where it ends up, it could be a rubbish heap. It could be the house of your dreams. And Saturday is like, I've never been down this lane. I've never, meaning mm-hmm. I've never fallen in love. Because you go down the falling in love, it could be a garbage heap, and it could be love. Oh, it's always love. Okay, so when he said I've never been down this lane, I was like, well, obviously I've been down this lane because you haven't died yet. But it, so that's and that's the thing. So sure, in that in that thing, she's linking the l- experience of love with the experience of dying. Wow. Yeah. And but also like, <laughs> wow. Because if because you, you took it that way, you took it. I've never been down this lane. And you're right. It's 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 titled both right. Lover's Lane and Harlequin's Lane. So if Har- we're saying Harlequin is death, but it's also called Lover's Lane. So, like, he's saying, I've never been down this lane. And we know from his character that he's never fallen. Well, he fell in love right. with that one woman who rejected right. him very, Which very young. always kind of wonder, how old was he? You know, was he, like... Right. And we know that, like, the kind of love that's not reciprocated right. is not a real love. It's not a full, complete, like, you know, a one-sided right. infatuation so, isn't, yeah, isn't real love. That, because when Satterwaite is, like, he kind of pissed about not going down this lane. And then... Mr. Quinn is like, do you regret? And he's like, no, because I can see things. But also, so it's clear that there was a, a kind of a, a trade-off, right? Either you get to experience love in both its horribleness and wonderfulness, or you get to see things. It's not both. And... Uh, Wow. Yeah. And it's interesting because I wonder if that's true. So, you know, pulling back from this and just looking at our own life experience and that, like, I honestly think when I haven't had the life experience of not experiencing things, I, I've had a very experienced life. <laughs> um, and I think that with more and more experience, I've gained more and more ability to see things. And I think if I had, and I honestly think that would have been a path for me on my personality. I think I could have gone on a path of just Mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of being monastic Mm -hmm. and being an observer. I could see that as a path for Amanda. I think I would have not been a great observer unless Maybe, maybe there's another way, but I feel like most of the ways that I'm able to see more right. is based on yeah. having experienced more. And I, but maybe that's not true for everyone. Maybe for some people, by staying outside of things, you have a better view. And I think that's true for a lot of Agatha Christie's characters, like, right, Paro, we've talked about, and Marple and Satterwaite are all right. They not, don't have children. In, not they in relationships not in relationship. ever. And that's not her life experience. That's not Agatha Christie's life experience, but she chooses, you know, protagonists that don't partner and like go through a lot of drama in their own lives. But honestly, I think it's through the experience of drama and shit in my own life that I'm able to be like, oh, I see what that is. And I, I'm not 
as good I can I can see things from having seen it through friends like oh my friend went through that but I'm so much better when I've been through that oh totally I'm so much better at seeing it when I've been through it and have but I but I, I think that's interesting to think about those people in your life that you know that do sort of choose a observer role in life and are do they have a you know, a, a special place, you know, is, is that one know, of those I tend to roles? find the people who are observing rather than doing, and then they're like, you know, they're kind of judging yeah, they're usually the worst, kind of judging not, the worst, you know, necessarily, you know, <laughs> you know, you should be doing this with your relationship. You should be doing this with your children. Like, but you, exactly, you've never been in a relationship. Exactly. What are you telling me what I should be doing with a relationship? Right? Exactly. It's fascinating though, right? And I and I, I like the I like the story that it tells. I like the story of Mr. S as a sort of hallowed asexual special role in society person who does have this view because he's not engaging in his own drama so he can see broader. I'm not sure right, if that happens right. in real life, but I like the idea of it. And it's very in some ways similar right. to Miss Marple's role. Where it's like I, I'm not engaging in the right. drama. I don't so have, I have a, the ability yeah, to see. Since all I don't it. care who gets together with who, I can just watch um, and be like, "Ooh, uh, it's interesting." Because you definitely get the sense for all three, um, Praro, uh, Satterwaite, and Marple, that like they've never had sex, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Really? If anyone yeah, but with whom we don't even i mean because that's but with whom and like just right. even the fluids I can't alone see it, but also like <laughs> can't see it happening the and i never really got this until reading it reading these stories with you but like the hints that he comes across as gay um Right, right. If and you then, had sex yeah, with anyone, it was I can't a man. See him being okay with the fluids, yeah. He's definitely, yeah. Nope. Right, and so that's interesting that Agatha Christie sort of puts, you know, gives wisdom to people who are asexual. Right, right. And although so, that's not her path. Um, but she definitely is imagining that they are the ones who know things. Um, so who can observe life in a different way. And I like that. I like her. Right. I like that idea. It, she's not unique because, of course, you know, Sherlock Holmes is also asexual. In his case, um, he was written as probably autistic and um, misogynistic. I mean, definitely misogynistic, but probably autistic. Um, and so he, he really didn't like women. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and couldn't understand them, and um, but also incredibly didn't right. have relationships. Heck, no. Um, although there's so many fan fiction now of that where he does, but the original books, nothing like that. Um, but that you know, as kind of the right, um, the first um, detective that we get to know uh, in a lot of stories. Uh, he's also seen as an observer who just looks at things dispassionately, never actually been in a relationship. 
And then, and then in this story, the fact that like Lover's Lane and Harlequin's Lane, you go down it, you fall in love. The ultimate love is death. And then like, so when you just stop and okay, you, you give up the mythology of the story for a minute. There's a woman in her, I'm right. guessing thirties, if she gave a ballet 10 years ago or whatever. Right. So her husband is cheating, but is now enthralled with her. Cause she's a beautiful dancer. Her ex is back again, but she chooses to go down the path of death and die you in a in euphoria onto a, a garbage heap. Why? Like, why does she have to die now? Like, why is death the best option for her? Okay, so your husband's not <laughs> that great. Your ex is a bad driver, but. <laughs> You're a gorgeous dancer. You're a person, even if you're just a mediocre <laughs> dancer like me. Um, well, like there's why, why, why does why is why does it have to be death at the end of this lane? Like, and, and it, I like it. I like the question that this this story makes me ask because in the uh, previous ones and like some of the Tommy and Tuppence were like the murderer dies, and I'm like, okay, well they just chose the easy out. Right, right or we'd like to kill murderers or whatever it is like right but in this case it's really complex it's like this woman her husband is cheating but now he sees her in a new way her ex is kind of a jerk but has always loved her um and like you know she okay so she really loves her husband like the man who loves me versus the man that i love right so i, I was with the man that i love but he really wants to sleep with this <laughs> dumb local person my the man that loves me is coming, but I'm not that into him. And I'm a I'm the world's greatest dancer who ever lived. And the best dancer for me is to die. But I, I I'm not even criticizing this. I'm just saying that I like the questions that it raises for me because I the story told it in such well, a way that I was like, yeah, that's right. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> why do I? Why would that be the right answer for her? Like, I mean. You can go to trade school. You could do something else. You could. There's so many options for you, girl. Like you don't have to die. But I, the, it was so poetic in the way that it was written. I bought it, and then I, it made me question. Whereas in other stories where the answer was death, I was like, well, that's just an easy out, or you're just trying to be like, oh, murderers should die. But in this one, I was like, it was so poetic that I was just like, there can, why, why is going down the lane with right, mr quinn because you said the best thing for you why and 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 why does love and death and like and she really like you said because i didn't even realize that when when mr s said i'd never gone down this lane meaning i'd never fallen in love i didn't catch that so that makes a lot of sense so like the story really hooks up together love and death together and that the ultimate love well, will end in death what the mr. hell quinn says like, he what? says What's at the end of the lane depends on the person. Is it a garbage heap or is it the house of your dreams? So maybe Mr. Satterway sees a garbage heap. Right. Because he never fell in love. So for him, the end of the lane is a garbage heap. Why would he ever fall in love? But she went down the end of the lane and she found something else. 
Right. So maybe his lens sees her in a garbage heap, but right. she is uh, experiencing it's being in a you in know, bliss. When they had that choice where she was like, for 10 years, I've been with the man I love. And now I'm going to go with, with the guy who loves me. And it made us sad. But it's like, as you said, life isn't that stark. Right. It's it doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? Like love isn't. You know, as both of us been divorced. It, it's not perfect or imperfect. Right, it's right. not perfect so or terrible. Idea, it's you know, just like imperfect. Always. Your choice is this bad choice or that bad choice. Therefore, you're going to choose the bliss of death. Um, death. Yeah. So it's there's a lot going on in the end of that. And there's a lot going on in that. And that's why it makes me wonder like where that falls in her love process, you know, like in terms of like Agatha Christie's marriages and disappointments and stuff like that, because right. Whoa. <laughs> no, just like, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating and, to think about. You like, know, this whole book, this whole premise of Mr. Quinn, they're not mysteries. I mean, sometimes it's like who, why didn't no, none of them are mysteries was a mystery, but it's not a mystery in the sense of like, you know, like one person died and everybody had a moment and then who done it. None of that. Who done so it? what there's no done it. All these stories, romances. I mean, they're, but they're like, they're all dark right. romances. Like it's all they get together. It's like, I it's, didn't kill myself or you're we've been apart for 20 years, but, um, uh, and you have a death sentence or, you know, like all of them are. Yeah, no, death is wrapped up in all of them. And that's why I think, honestly, it makes me this, the experience of reading this book makes me really admire Agatha Christie because if you're going to write about, murder for a living if you're gonna write about death for a living this series of mr quinn stories and mr s and like it being the two of them is so meta in the way that she's looking at death that it makes me love her because it's just like she's looking at how do we see death death, as a part of life in um and all of most of the murder mysteries death is bad that's why we have to find the murderer and then this one (laughs) death is right usually bad like in in this story death is the the right answer and then and again like as the reader you're like yeah wait a minute hold on (laughs) That's not what I think about this woman. I think she had a great life and she should go dance some more or just like, you know, right. Open a basket well, shop or something. Like, does she have to die? Like, what if neither of these dudes is right for her? Could she just like, and she you know, and she didn't go on a trip to either, you know, Italy and which again is never <laughs> the right answer. Not choosing ballet is always wrong. <laughs> Like, why would you not fall in love with ballet? Like, why didn't you go to the end of the lane and Mr. Quinn took you to just being a dancer and choose ballet and then, you know, you can teach right. in the ballet school. There's I so mean, many options for you. If, 
And again, it's, it's not performance, you know, adult performance right. level ballerinas. Could, or, I yeah, can't believe said, someone would not a, choose that. A ballet teacher. I mean, being a dance teacher is 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 a you know having have your you ballet watched school on point yet? Ugh. Oh, speaking of which, ugh. No, I, I haven't mean, watched on point yet. Right? Like, why would you just die? And, like, why does the ultimate expression of love... And, like you said, you couldn't have pointed out to me that, like, as she's walking down the lane, the person looks like her husband, looks like her lover, looks like Mr. Quinn. So it's like, all right. of my love experience or, is wrapped up into one and then I die? Like, why couldn't it be, like, all of my love experience is wrapped up into one and then I'm now I'm Mr. S and I'm going to just be, like, a right. cool asexual yeah, a good, who teaches yeah. dance. Like, and why do I have to die? how i met your mother okay go (laughs) so um the multi-year sitcom is all leading up to how he meets this woman and then the very end this is the one where he has her yes like the douche right right a very very straight douche too which is you know he's hilarious because he does it so over the top and especially since you know that he's not a very straight douche so the premise is like him, the main character, telling the story of how he met the mother to his kids when they were teenagers. And he, you know, but he tells all these stories and the mom's not even there yet. And then he finally meets her and they fall in love and they get married and then she dies. And then he finishes the story and they say, that's great. Now go after Robin, who was... um a friend of his who he had dated for a while and then they kind of off and on this whole time and then his kids say great you told us this whole story about your life now you need to go get this woman who you've clearly you know loved even though he had a marriage and kids with this woman who died and so the very end of the so spoilers, if you haven't watched the sitcom that ended several years ago, um, <laughs> um, the very ending episode, he goes back to this woman that he first met um, um, years before he ever met your mother, right? And mm-hmm. says, let's get back together. And a lot of people didn't like that ending because it's not, I had my one true love interesting but that's the thing like in real life like that's not how it works it's not how it works and i was in starting divorce proceedings at the time and uh remember thinking you know no i really liked that because he had a great relationship with the woman who was the mother they had kids together it was great and he also loved this other woman and she wasn't a um, maternal person, didn't have kids, had always been like an aunt to But at this kids. point, his, his kids are grown. His kids are grown. And so his kids are the ones who said, go, go get Robin. And it was, you know. Well, I, agree with that. I, I think that as we get more life experience, we're like, there's not this one true love thing. There's more like a give and a take and a like a measuring of like, must-haves and cannot live without and cannot deal with and deal breakers and 
and you know and, and you can look at relationships and not say oh i shouldn't have done that one you can say that relationship was brought me these good things yeah and so but then also when that relationship is over and i got what i needed to we all got and we moved and each other mm-hmm. we changed each other we and then now i'm in a different one you know right and so this idea that we don't necessarily and i like that because it's not like you regret and say oh i married the wrong person before right you know and i think about that in terms of my own life and i've seen several friends who are my age who are having their second marriage now most of my friends who are having their second marriage they had children in their first ones (laughs) (laughs) not their second ones but you know um that you don't when you do it a second time around you're older and wiser and um, right and for those people who had kids in their first marriage you wouldn't say you regretted that because that means you wouldn't have had those kids right 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 exactly you don't regret your children so, you know, so back to uh, Anna, right? So she spent 10 years loving this man, but completely gave up ballet. Right? And kind of in, in, in the way that Mr. S looked at her and said she had no personality to speak of, but he just kept going to visit because of this oriental screen that she had. Like, basically, she'd given up not just ballet, but her entire personhood to live as a random British housewife living a nondescript life. Right. And so she'd then, given up everything to be boring, to just be loved by a random British guy. Right. Uh, by the way, I'm doing and she felt like she where couldn't bring you, any of herself into that relationship. What was that? I'm going to get another drink. So I'm going to be away from the camera. I'm doing the thing because okay. we've talked about if I do disappear, it's alarming. She does. Please. Thank you for that. Cause I get insecure. <laughs> I make fun of you, but I get insecure when you move, but she's going to get a drink. What are you drinking tonight, by the way? Um, the last of the eggnog with whiskey in it. So it turns out that um, in case you're wondering what you do if there's both a pandemic and civilization is falling, you eat all the things. <laughs> oh, my God. You eat all of the things. Like, that's how you You eat cook. all the things. So That is how you cope. I did that is and that is I, I don't think that's news to anyone we're listening to or anyone who's listening to us because they are also involved in the fall of civilization <laughs> in a, in the middle of a pandemic and uh you know so everything else so yeah so it turns out I did not know that you know if somebody had said also when society falls apart and everyone's dying you eat too much I just didn't know I didn't know but now I, I mean know. that's that seems uh, intuitive to me that like whenever stress happens, eating happens. Fair. Oh my god! But also like this particular week, I think I've eaten my way through it because you know. Yeah, and we were we're recording this just after the coup. The uh, well, who knows which coup? Right. People Maybe might be listening be to this in. There might be future coups. <laughs> just like when we're reading these stories and they're talking about the Great War because they don't know World War Two is coming because they're still in World War One, but they didn't know to number them yet. So we're talking about the coup on January sixth, right, two thousand twenty-one. Right. That just happened. So lots of drinking happened this week, and yeah, and I happened to live in Washington D.C., so that was a fun 
front row seat to that and curfew. <laughs> that I had and curfew <laughs> and curfew. <sighs> All right, so back to Agatha Christie. Oh yeah, was that what we were talking is, about? That's the theory of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, again, I have, I have skipped ahead a little just because of you know things came up in the library or whatever. But I am venturing to say that the Mister Quinn series is my favorite among her work, and I think it's because of all these questions it raised for us. Like it talks about death. And less about like who we're killing because of vengefulness, but just like death and how it occurs in our lives, which it does. Like, right, death occurs in our lives and we have to face it and think about it. And so, Mr. Quinn being a character who's clearly supernatural for some of the time and may or may not represent death and may or may not represent justice after death or before death and like all of those things like i really like that i think it's so thoughtful and it just raises the questions and the way it ends with this this person that we see this anna who comes off as boring and kind of a blank slate boring ass lady in middle class like i in, in the in the last reading i did of it like right before recording with you today it was like Melania-esque where she was like formerly Eastern European but now trying to be passing as an American housewife right right <laughs> I kind of pictured her as Melania like this is all fine um <laughs> everything's fine yeah everything's fine but like you know raising that like for this woman who is okay her husband's bored by her but she's got this lover and she's the, the world's most amazing dancer and that the death is the most the best answer for her like just the questions that it raised and the way that it dealt with death as a character and i i'm glad that i've seen meet joe black but clearly this was a precursor to that as terms of like putting a human character on that figure with a sickle what? that hooded figure with a sickle well this goes back like when you could interact with him and talk to him and then the way that it made like Mr. Quinn, sort of the death character, but then Mr. F is also maybe also a mythical creature and is if he's our protagonist, but he also lives out and is he even real and the all of it. Like I just it's so meta. It's very meta in the way that it makes you look at the situations and what is real and not real. And it's so thoughtful in the way we think about death and the way that we think about justice. I just found it. This is my favorite series. It's my favorite part of her work. Interesting. And I and when I started this podcast with you, I had no idea this is something that would be, even be on the table. I just thought it was like Paro and Miss Marple, right? You right. know, the Butler did it, right? And Tommy and Tempest was fun, but this series is just like a whole other. Whoa, <laughs> like this is really interesting. And I'm not even sure how to process it all. And I'm not even sure where I fall in all these questions. But I like the fact that these questions are being asked. Well, and we still, you know, we said at the beginning, like, is he, is this the fight club? Is um, Mr. Quinn imaginary to Satterwaite? Is it Sixth Sense? Are they both imaginary? <laughs> but now. Is any of this real? I do love it. So now we have a third choice. It's meet Joe Black. So he's like fight club meets um, Sixth Sense meets 
uh, meet Joe Black. I mean, like, let's bring in all the 90s movies that we possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> Are those all in the 90s? I think so. <laughs> but it's just, it's just, it's interesting. And it, and it all has to do, and the, and the reasons that it's interesting is because all of that is are, are about our relationship to death. Right. Well, and like, how do we see death? Yeah. And how do we see, um, yeah is fight club though i don't know if it but yeah how do we see ourselves fight club is definitely right and right in the fight club level of like how do we see ourselves and having an external influence that's really part of us and man man there's a lot going on here yeah this makes me think like did um, these stories over and over read this one for the fight club you know because like this idea of course i mean his right because right and agatha christie never answers the question in terms of the relationship with mr s and and mr quinn but there's clearly as we talked about like mr s also we never see him at home there's a lot of the things that come up with the protagonist in fight club right although you know because obviously chuck polanuck that was such a critique of toxic masculinity and this one quinn and satterwaith are kind of the are both feminine men right right unapologetically right celebrated in fact celebrated by the world around them Mm -hmm. we we never hear one homophobic or one no gender phobic comment about them and we are aware of the society they're being consumed in. And I'm sure the reader in the, the time that they were written in was a rare as well, but there's n- no one in the books ever says, Oh, that home over there or right, nothing. It's weird that he's never married or, you know what I mean? They, but, the, but they own the fact that he's extremely feminine. And what was interesting is I always got the sense that Mr. Quinn was fairly feminine. They always tall talk about him being slender and and tall. and tall and beautiful right and like mr quinn comes off as a beautiful gay man mm-hmm. like he's tall and beautiful and like ostentatious sort of but then the very end of this the last book when he's acting like a lover to right in this case 90s movie again Biff Element, Ruby Rod, you know, Ooh, who was, you yeah, know, who was based yeah. more on like Prince, you know, like somebody who's so sexy. He's incredibly sexy to everyone. He's feminine, but he's sexy to women. Yes. You know, because um, Prince was, and, uh, you know, when they, we, we just watched the fifth element again last night, just, um, Oh, that's awesome and, you know that's bianca's favorite oh movie. it is it's chris's favorite movie too <laughs> i mean he was like talking about how much he loved that movie last night oh that's hilarious oh, it's literally bianca's favorite but movie. we were talking we were talking about that character in particular about how androgynous and sexy to everyone it is it you know that character is um mm-hmm. and there's um and then when I was looking at the trivia on it and they said it was based on Prince and I was like, Oh, I could totally see that this guy who's like, 
um, yeah, just sexy to everyone. Like it doesn't even matter. Right. Like everyone's like, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, right. And that's, and that's the thing is that when a man can own his femininity, it's very powerful. Right. In the same way, you know, I can say it's a lesbian, like when a woman can own her masculinity, it's very powerful. Right. Right. It, not necessarily to the masses, hashtag Hillary Clinton. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I love it. I mean, there's a reason right. why, I mean, it, it, you didn't have to be lesbian to love Xena. Like, I, ugh. Oh, Zena. <laughs> I mean, I was still a pre-gay when Zena was out, but I was like, I have questions. <laughs> I need to think about that. I loved her. I freaking loved her, you know? Like, so. Yeah. Anyway. And that's one of the things about, like, I, I think it's this kind of going full circle that we were much more okay with gender and sexuality being fluid. And then religion came along and was like, actually, we're going to be, we're going to have, we're going to have camps. Pick a camp. Right. Right. And then, um, but even then, like, um, you could have a camp that was non-sexual, um, in 1700s 1800s england right being non-sexual was an option right but americans were like well you guys are probably just suppressing your sexuality so any of you who are non or asexual you're probably just suppressing it and you're probably just gay and we're just gonna burn you (laughs) but also no but also like having like you're probably not just non-sexual or asexual because that's not a thing right and you either have to go into the church or we're born right but but i feel like we're coming back to the fact that it's like you know it's everything is pretty fluid when i first read agatha christie books and i was in high school i was just like oh they're asexual and was cool Mm -hmm. with that but right. I also assumed that, as you said, Julie was asexual. <laughs> you know, because... At, right, and then knowing her as an adult, this is our this is our aunt, Julie, who is uh, not asexual yeah. at all. But she never married until a later age, and then it didn't, you know, that wasn't a marriage that was successful. And she's not asexual so, at all. But, but she never married. And yeah, exactly. And so, like, I was like, oh, okay. So, like, Julie. And then, you know, when I got older and I was like, oh, I'm kind of denying this whole part of her being. And right. then, but then there are people who they are very happy with that. You know what I mean? And, um, right. and so I, I've kind of gone full circle where I'm like, Mr. Satterthwait was asexual. Actually, Mr. Satterthwait was gay. Actually, he's asexual. But but right. also, I need to stop putting people in camps. Right, and I think that, that that can often vary for people. And I think it's very realistic when we see that like older women sometimes have op- have become asexual later in life. And I think sometimes that's just normal for them. And also, cannot. Can, doesn't have to be right, right, right. But Mr. Satterwaite, like, and we were talking about the difference between his gender and his sexuality. 
it seemed like he had some sexual feelings at some points in life, but it wasn't a strong pull for him. But that gender, he's always been kind of on the cusp. Right. Right. Of gender. And that it's a different thing. And like, again, if we'd read, if we'd done this podcast 10 years ago, there wouldn't have been podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so that wouldn't have been a thing. <laughs> but we wouldn't have been able to distinguish gender from sexuality as well because our our understanding of like the difference between gender and sexuality has you know and i'm still under i'm still progressing my understanding of gender and sexuality you know like i am a femme presenting lesbian and so i still have trouble i was just talking to friends of mine about this like i still have trouble reconciling feminine presenting afabs afab for the audience if you're not familiar meaning assigned female at birth so people who are assigned female at birth and present as feminine but who identify as gender non-conforming and go by they that's still i'm still wrapping my head around that it's still a lot to learn but there's there's a lot of things you know right yeah it, it yeah totally totally there's, there's a lot and so, yeah, and so it's like, I think over the years, our understanding of sexuality and gender and how, as our mother would say, the confluence, that's her favorite word, <laughs> confluencia, <laughs> the confluence of, and, and, and the, whatever the opposite of that is, the, 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 where gender and sexuality don't go together. Diverge, I think. Isn't that divergent? Diverge. Divergent. I really love this book. And I like the questions that it raised for me. I still have questions, but they're not the kind of questions that I have with the big four. Right. <laughs> Where I just have questions that I'm angry about. <laughs> and this one, I have questions that I'm like, I like the fact that I have this question. And I like, and I, and I love looking back at this book or this series of short stories in the context of now knowing that like work since then, like fight club and meet Joe black. And what was it that we've mentioned? The sixth sense have brought up these questions since then. I'm like, these authors were all influenced by this right, work. Right. And so I like the fact that this is like so deep in our history and that these questions about death and our relationship to death from a Western lens, you know what I mean? I think that there's probably much more complex ways of looking at death from outside of this culture, but in this culture, in this mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> Anglo-Saxon culture, as it were, looking at this, this, our relationship to death is being raised from this era. I just, I just love it. And I, I have questions, but but I like the fact that I have these questions that I just, I really admire these books and I love well, them. Well, and it, you know, it's interesting because of course we were talking as Anglo-Saxon and, you know, Church of England, this is not a very Anglo-Saxon book, right? It does not seem like... No, it's super mystical. It's super mystical. And like, yeah, you gotta go, you got to go out on somebody's limb here to feel comfortable with being in these spaces where it's like there's a lot of questions and it requires some sort of mysticism to answer them and that those and they would not be answered by your local vicar (laughs) 
Not at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, no offense to um, an- local Anglican vicars, but I don't think that this is your, your, your realm. So, well, so the next book is called Lord Edgeware Dies. We talked about it actually when we were, um, had the guest episode with our mom. Um, uh, but, uh, so that's the next book. It is not one of my favorites. Um, but the one after that is one of my favorites. So what's after why that? Why didn't they ask Evans? Ooh, I don't know if I remember yeah, that. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, they're both written in 33. They're very different. So Evans is a little bit more like, you know, the Tobium Tempence or the, uh, seven dials or you know uh yeah i don't know i don't know if i read that one in my read heads but yeah. okay but so next is lord Edgeworth dies and and then after that why didn't they ask yeah. if and so and um if you are a loyal listener which i don't know how many we have you might have know we have we have what did i say decades <laughs> Decades of listeners now. <laughs> Decades. Well, uh, we we did disappear for about a month, which holidays, um, and holidays, and then twenty twenty stress, and then twenty twenty one stress, and then coos. It was, <laughs> it was a, lot. a lot. So, um, hopefully, we're now back to just pandemic stress. We'll see. Um, we'll see. Hopefully, knock on democracy yeah, so but if we're just dealing with pandemic stress and not all the other ones then we'll do a better job of recording um weekly so <laughs> so if you were like waiting and thinking man they didn't put one out all of december you're right sorry about that because because life and yeah so anyway <laughs> but we're going to keep going because this is one of the good things that's happening during, you know, everything else that's horrible. So it is. All right. All right. Good night, good night. everybody. Good night, good night. Portia.